Hello and welcome to our new podcast series, A Day in the Life Of, where we will be showcasing some of the incredible experts we have at Ankura. Every month we will have a special guest on to give us a flavour of what it's like to work in the world of cyber and data privacy, and I will be your host, Lewis Pedley. The aim of this podcast, and the reason why I was so excited to get involved in it to start with, was to talk about these complex and mystifying topics in simple ways for everyone to understand. If the result of this series is we have explained one small thing to even one listener, then I think we consider this a success. So let's dive right in. This month, I'm delighted to be joined by Steve Sanford, a senior director in our cybersecurity practice, to talk about a day in the life of an incident responder. So Steve, for our listeners at home, can you tell me a bit about yourself? Hi, Lewis. Uh, many thanks for having me on. And hello to all of our listeners. My name is Steve Sanford. I'm a cyber incident responder with over 12 years of experience in both law enforcement and the private sector. I started my career in law enforcement as a high-tech crime investigator before moving into the private sector where I've been supporting clients with incident investigations and assisting with their recovery from such incidents. I also have experience with uh, helping map out a client's cybersecurity roadmap and help them gain a better understanding of their current position and, and posture. Outside of work, I'm a season ticket holder at Tottenham Hotspur. We won't talk about recent results. Uh, and I have a vast collection of Lego with my favourite pieces being the Ghostbusters Firehouse and the NASA Space Shuttle Discovery. So I think we might need a whole separate podcast to cover those two things, Steve, but <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, stick to, uh, we'll stick to the day in the life of today. <laughs> uh, but firstly, I was wondering if you could tell me about sort of what you specifically do at Ankura. And if you can, talk me through a recent engagement with one of our clients. My day-to-day role involves engaging with uh, with clients who are victims of cyber attacks, uh, scoping the incident, and then assisting with containment, investigation, and recovery from the incident. I'm also involved in business development and supporting our team of talented analysts. A recent engagement that was really interesting was one where we had to help a client with investigating and remediate, um, remediation after a sophisticated cyber attack, where the threat actor had gained access and stole proprietary data. Our role was to contain and investigate the incident whilst understanding what data was taken and how. We also deployed endpoint detection technology to determine whether the attacker still had a foothold within the environment. On top of the investigation, another element we had to consider is notification requirements to the Information Commissioner's Office. So we had to analyse any data that was taken by the threat actor to see if there were any data subjects affected. Thanks for that, Steve. So I imagine you speak to some fairly nervy clients when you're uh, you know, engaging with them on these sorts of matters. But I was wondering if there's something that you consistently see that our clients are, are not doing that they should be doing and what sort of advice would you give to them? I think the main piece of advice is you know, keeping on, keeping on top of patching uh, and vulnerability management, as well as cycling out outdated, unsupported systems. We see so often that the root cause of an incident is an unpatched or outdated system, which are vulnerable to being exploited by an attacker. The key thing here would be to have a schedule along with a proper change control. Companies should map out their infrastructure and keep a log so they know what the organization has and develop a plan for the end-of-life systems. Also, not enough can be said about having the right documentation and a thorough incident response plan. Knowing who is responsible, what stage and who to call on to assist is invaluable. Thanks, Steve. I know from personal experience that you know, a lot of my clients do not have that incident response plan in place. And the ones that do have it, very rarely is it sort of properly tested and sort of planned out. So I think that's really good, really good advice. Uh, and I was wondering, can you talk me through how we get instructed on these type of engagements? Uh, who are typically the individuals concerned at our clients and how we are brought on board? And then talk us through the sort of life cycle of us responding to an incident. 
Sure. So it, it varies. Um, sometimes uh, uh, these these engagements and incidents will be um, insurance led, and the, the the end client will will have cyber insurance that will cover them, um, and will be engaged either by the insurer or breach counsel, and brought on board to to scope and uh, assess what has happened, and then uh, assist the client. Um, so initially, we we will you know, help them contain the incident, whether we do this by uh, giving advice, jumping on, helping them, you know, um, disable network ports or disconnecting things from um, from the internet, um, just to initially, in that initial phase, make sure there's nothing going in or coming in, going out of the environment. After that, we, we will look to collect data, um, so preserve everything um, and, and look to collect that data for analysis. And we'll perform the analysis uh, following our internal procedures, um, looking for evidence of the attacker, evidence of lateral movement, evidence of any malicious files, um, and, and and things like that. Um, and then and then we will assist the client with with their recovery, so getting systems back online into put into production. Uh, we will give advice on best practices, um, and and we will then getting to, into the, the lessons learned phase of the engagement. Um, we will talk about, you know, any recommendations um, for future proofing, but also reporting, you know, bringing together a report of the entire incident um, and uh, any any improvements that the company can, um, can make going forward. And typically, how long do these sort of engagements last? It, it varies on the type of incident. Um, I mean, if there's a, if it's, if it's a, you know, um, an email compromise, a business email compromise, then that could take a couple of weeks to 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 investigate to find all the data that we need. If it's a a, a larger ransomware style investigation, then that could take. I mean, we've had some last six to eight weeks you know, from beginning to end. So that's containment investigation. And it all depends on how many systems are analyzed or have been affected, you know, how big the organization is, whether any data has been exfiltrated by the attacker um, and answering all those questions and then reporting at the end, making sure the report is accurate, contains everything that, that the client would need, but also helps them, you know, from a, from a legal standpoint going forward. So, Steve, you mentioned in your bio that you have a background in law enforcement, and I know there are a number of other people in the team who have come from law enforcement as well. So I wondered what advice do you think you'd have for your ex-colleagues or anyone else, for that matter, who may want to get into cybersecurity? My advice for anyone looking for a career in, in cyber would be to research the variety of roles. There are many that cover different aspects, so make sure you know what the role entails what you want to do, whether you want to be an investigator, whether you want to work in the risk advisory side, whether you want to be a pen tester. There is, you know, loads and loads of different roles within in cybersecurity. There is a lot to learn, but knowing where to source information is key. Um, make sure look, you look into the baseline level skills or certifications to upskill. If you're a student, uh, I would advise looking towards grad schemes as well um, to, to get your foot on the ladder. And Steve, coming from law enforcement, what do you think are the biggest changes between that role and the role you have now? I mean, law enforcement was was intense. There, there was, you know, lots of uh, lots of systems, lots of data to analyze, lots of crimes to to be investigated. I guess the difference between what we do in in cybersecurity and incident response is we're looking at 
data that isn't user-created data. It's operating system artifacts. It's the breadcrumbs left behind by an attacker. So it's, you know, following that trail to find out, you know, we've we've got a date where we, you know, when things started to be recognized by the client. So we're trying to figure out what happened prior to that date. So we're working backwards. Um, whereas, yeah, like I said, in law enforcement, you're looking at user-created information, communications, um, you know, chatter, emails, all those kind of things um, to try and prove uh, a crime has happened. On a personal level, the difference, um, when I first came into the, the big wide world of, um, of cybersecurity um, and in the private sector, you know, it was it was a bit of a shock to the system. And I'm sure our, uh, our, our colleagues that have made that transition um, as well will agree. Um, it is it is very different. It's a it's a different pace. Speaking to stakeholders constantly, you know, um, board board boards of directors at companies, and just making sure that um, everyone is is kept abreast of everything that's going on and and stuff like that. You know, being constantly in communication with with those stakeholders is. Um, yeah, it's something that I've had to uh, keep on top of, shall we say. And final one on, on law, law enforcement. Is there anything you miss from your previous role? Um, I mean, working on crimes is always interesting. Um, working on different uh, different types of cases, um, where, whether it's homicide um, or uh, or fraud, um, any any kind of investigation like that was always always very very interesting. But I think moving into into cybersecurity, the, the the kind of key thing is helping our clients and um, helping them recover and be better prepared for for the next incident. Brilliant, thanks, Steve. And that was that was really insightful. So, Steve, you obviously deal with a number of different types of attacks on our clients, but I was wondering whether you could talk us through um, a recent one or, or, or potentially a sort of a really relevant one for our clients to understand. Sure, you know we we deal with a lot of ransomware investigations. Um, and with with ransomware, they're constantly um, the threat actors are constantly evolving uh, with their methods. Most most of the time, you know, it, it will be through either a drive by phishing email where malware will be dropped onto the system, which will then enable the attacker to gain a foothold and bring on to the system other malware that will encrypt the data. Or the the threat actor will look at other attack vectors like. RDP brute force, like remote desktop um, brute force, um, or they they will find um, somewhere leaked credentials that will give them access to an in, so a person's infrastructure. There are many many ransomware groups out there. You know, Conti, Hive, uh, to name a couple that are quite prevalent at the moment. But we we have to, as investigators, try and stay ahead with our research. The research helps us when we're investigating so we know what artifacts to look for we know where to look for them um, helps us build that picture and uh, you know helps us um, helps us complete this uh, the story of the investigation really what happened how it happened and um, when it happened and yeah ran- ransomware investigations are, are always quite quite complex and trying to figure that out depending on whether the attacker has covered their tracks which can sometimes hinder an investigation so as, I sh- as I'm sure you can imagine, Lewis, you know, um, evolution of of, uh, of threat actors and the constantly changing landscape of, of cyber attacks um, does mean that as investigators, we need to stay on our toes. 
And do you have a sense of sort of who the most advanced threat actors are? You know, are we talking nation states? Are we talking individual groups or I guess individuals? It, it varies. I mean, you know, we do see some nation state. We do see some that are, are groups, organized crime, you know, organized cyber crime groups. You do get ransomware as a service. So you could get Johnny Nobody will go and buy a piece of ransomware um, for use. But, you know, you can you can tell that that same ransomware used by the group will have a different modus operandi. So a different attack vector and a different methodology than the individual using that ransomware. So when you're doing the investigation, you can usually tell by, again, our research, our experience of the the, the variant, um, whether it is an individual or, or a group that are um, perpetrating that attack. Yeah, I read about the ransomware as a service quite recently because some of these cybercrime organisations are effectively runners as as many businesses now and they're even recruiting in the same way that normal organizations will recruit however just doing it in more sort of unscrupulous ways on the dark web etc yeah, i was amazed by how mature some of those are in terms of how they continue their operations some of them have helplines you know some of them have helplines um so they have um customer support to uh if if the decryptor doesn't work um, for example, they they want to help you because they want their payday. So you know they um, they are fully fledged operational business. And have we ever attempted to ring the helpline to see if they can help us out in well, our investigations? We've we've negotiated with attackers, and I'm I'm sure that'll be coming down the line as another day in the life of. Um, but we uh, we have spoken to to them and negotiated, um, you know, either the price or spoke to them about you know many many different aspects of a an attack to find out what they did, how they got in, um, if we weren't able to determine through the the analysis. And- yeah, it's in- incredibly interesting, much more interesting than, than my day-to-day job. So now I'm going to come on to some a bit some more light-hearted questions, let's say. And that, obviously, I know we've all been working from home up until very recently, and so we've spent a lot of time you know, crafting out our home offices to make it them as most productive as possible. But I was wondering, you know, what's been the best home office accessory you've bought yourself you know in the past couple of years you know tech office furniture something to make you feel more productive i mean firstly i bought a new chair because i knew i was going to be sitting there for a while so um so i invested in a uh, in a sturdier um gaming chair um that was because the, the raising mechanism busted on my old one and i didn't want that to happen again if i bought a bought a cheap chair again so i um made that investment and and thought it was a, a sound investment seeing as we you know I thought we'd be working on home for some time um didn't want to damage my back and obviously my prediction about working from home was true so yeah, that was the that was the first thing and then um I mean the, the second one wasn't work related but just as valuable I bought a mini fridge for my office uh Very nice. you know which is a little bit naughty because it means I don't have to step away from my computer and you know force myself to walk to the kitchen for a drink and and things like that but um you know if you're on if you're on a long client call or something like that being able to reach down for a drink or you know a little snack um when you go off camera you know um is uh, is always quite handy so with drinks nearby the only thing you'll really need in the next is probably a toilet to nip to as well yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> and then you know i can see you're in the office today so, so i guess what were some of the things you missed most about the office when while we were working from home interaction um with colleagues our investigations are very much a team effort. 
um, and you're always talking about findings and, and sharing knowledge and things like that. So interaction with people, not just in our team, though, interaction with other practices across Ankara, you know, within our, our office um, as faces that, that you haven't seen for some time that um, when you do see them and you catch up and, and, and things like that. Yeah, it's um, I think that's that's the main thing is, you know, uh, is is just the human interaction, shall we say? I mean, um, different four walls. You know, you're stuck staring at the same four walls for a couple of years. It's it's nice to to break out from that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And just coming back to that sort of interaction point, I know just from being in the office myself, you know, meeting different parts of the business and being able to collaborate together better, so that when we are, you know, going out and speaking to our clients, we can talk about a multiple of different problems and issues that they may be having and how we can sort solve those. So I think, yeah, that's absolutely one of the benefits of you know getting back getting back together and collaborating like that. We've got one final question, and this is a question that I'm going to ask everyone who appears on the show, and I think it really gives an insight into how we think and also how we perceive ourselves. So the big question, if I was to ask your mum or dad, Steve, ask them what you did for a living, what would they say? Um, I mean, wow, what a, what a question. Um, I'm pretty sure my mum still thinks I work for the police. Um, <laughs> but... I mean, if if I was to uh, to ask them, um, they would probably say something in IT or related to computers. They do always come to me if they have any technology related issues. Um, yeah, I get the same. Yeah, if they receive spam emails or you know dodgy text messages um, and don't know what to do, um, I do often feel like IT support for my own family. Um, growing up, my parents used to call me the walking dictionary because. They would always come to me to to know how to spell things, and this feels like the the evolution from that is computer says no. Let's ask Steve what it does or how to do this. So. Yeah, and my standard response normally is turn it off and turn it back on. <laughs> if it, and then if it doesn't work, then then I've, I've run out of it. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Curry's and buy a new one. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I asked that question is because um, my mum in particular doesn't really understand what I do for a living and tells people that um, I have a, a channeler job. So if anyone's seen Friends, um, the character from Friends, uh, no one understands what they do for a living and, and they describe it as a channeler job. So um, I'm definitely going to keep that question in to ask everyone to understand what their, <laughs> what their parents or, or family think they do for a living. But thanks, Steve. That's been incredibly insightful. And I really appreciate you finding time to speak to me today and thinking about you know, what a day in the life of an instant responder feels like. So, so thank you for that. Um, and that's it for this episode of Ankur is a day in the life of. I just want to thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next month with another incredible leader from our practice. But in the meantime, if you have any questions, feedback, or something you'd like to hear about on the podcast, then please do get in touch and we'll do our best to include it in future episodes.